This episode is brought to you by Redeemer University. Your university years are some of the most important in your life, and where you choose to study matters. Redeemer University, located just outside of Hamilton, Ontario, offers 40 different degree programs, all taught from a Christian perspective. A one-of-a-kind experience that weaves faith and education together, Redeemer prepares you for your future career and helps deepen your faith, all while building Christian friendships that last a lifetime. Learn more and apply when you visit Redeemer.ca. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Real Talk podcast. We are coming at you with a roundup with the, the normal crew, myself, uh, Tyler, and John. So we've had kind of an interesting uh, trio of episodes here. Um, not so much related to each other, but each unique and uh, like fascinating in their own right. So today we'll be talking about, well, uh, let's see here, we'll be talking about Indonesia and the gospel. Uh, that was an episode I did with Reverend Ethan. And then uh, we did an episode about uh, Dort University and there, uh, and then as a, kind of a rejoinder to that as well, I interviewed Dr. Justin Bailey from Dort and talked all about his book, uh, which is, has to do with the theology of culture, which in and of itself was quite fascinating. And then finally, this is probably the most spicy of the three. We talked about real estate with uh, Brent Vanderwood and Mark Crickey, two, uh, two guys very much involved in the real estate world. So that was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of interesting parts uh, to come out of these episodes. So I think I'll throw it over to you, Ty, first to get us going here. Uh, episode 83, Indonesia and the Gospel, uh, Reverend Ethan. Some of your thoughts coming out of that one. I think it was uh, fairly entertaining. It's an interesting man. Yeah, it was entertaining. I liked I liked that you did it in person. I think that really worked with uh, with Reverend Ethan. That was uh, definitely, definitely an interesting guy. Seen a lot, obviously, and uh, like crazy life experiences. Um, but yeah, one thing that stood out to me is, uh, he highlighted a lot of different, a lot of different things, but one that, one that stuck out to me is when I, I appreciate the, um, the emphasis he puts on like the Holy spirit in his life and in mission work and stuff. Um, even like stressing that for us, even in a, in a country like Canada or the U S, um, to, to appreciate god's work in your life and the holy spirit and how the holy spirit really like is is here is is working in us um i think you hear testimony a lot from like foreign missionaries like indonesia is is pretty common to hear um like stories about yeah like not even just like voodoo but like like spirit the spirit world the spirit realm um and that being very real in his life um it's it's interesting to hear these missionaries talk about that because you you understand that there is something going on beyond what we see every day and um to hear him talk about you know like praying over people and um yeah i've heard other testimonies from other people of of like things that you would you would just attribute to like be a miracle <laughs> and um him attributing that to an actual battle of Satan and the spirit is, is, is pretty fascinating. It makes you think about um, like your day-to-day -day life and even like the mundane things that happen that, you know, you're saved from a car crash and, and little things that, you know, might just pass us by to really, you know, reflect on that. And then also the power of prayer in that, like in that part of your life, right? Like he, he mentioned like 
yeah, just pray whenever, whenever you're, um, you're in a, a moment where you're struggling and stuff like that is actually powerful. And you can, you can hear it in him that that really has touched him in his life and in his ministry. So yeah, pretty cool to, to hear him uh, describing those things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was very powerful. Go ahead, John. Well, it's just in particular when, uh, you know, the high school class gets possessed and is writhing on the ground and comes back and prays over them and, and everything's okay again. It, it does, it does remind me that people on the edge and we're often a little bit more comfortable and a little bit, uh, in a safe zone, but you hear this with people who are doing like a more abortion ministry, uh, who are doing evangelism to, to, uh, I don't know, Mormons or something like that, where they're just in a, in a pressing need for something uh, beyond themselves. I, I experienced a little bit along those lines when I was running for office, just always being able to have the words that I needed. And I'm, that's not always me. So just being able to, as a young man, respond to people. When we're on the edge, those guys are on the edge all the time. And so the Lord is uh, equipping them in special ways kind of reminds me that maybe I got to put myself in uncomfortable situations and just rely on the Lord. I, I always am, but in those situations, I know it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think there's like, there's a fear in us. I think that's like, you're not always ready to stick your neck out. Whereas these guys, they don't ever pull their neck back in. So it's kind of like, yeah, they're always out there, which is, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, they're on the edge all the time. So you can tell it really it like deepens their faith. And they have, I don't know, I don't know if it's stronger, but yeah, it's it's robust. They know what God can do for them very like in a very real sense of their lives. Probably in a way that many, yeah, I feel like many of us in North America can't uh or haven't fully experienced probably. So mm. I thought that, that was cool. The other interesting uh, or yeah, the other theme uh, probably came out of there a bunch and we'll actually have an episode coming out with uh RP's very own Mark Pentagon on this topic in a number of weeks is uh, the call to be fruitful and uh, to multiply. He was very big on that, uh, both yeah. in podcast and studio outside. It's a theme he hits home on all the time. So I thought that was great. Kids? Uh, he only has seven. Although he he'd be wanted probably, 13? Yeah, he wanted 13. Yeah, his wife that didn't work out quite that way. But uh, yeah, big uh, <laughs> big goals that way. So it's good. I think uh, I think it's a healthy in that regard from him because uh i don't know but we'll mark and i get into it in this episode that that will be released in a few weeks but uh it's very much a trend to have less and less kids which i think everyone's aware of but underpopulation is about to be a, a big problem in the next few decades in this world um so that's it's an interesting point to hear from a guy on the mission field for sure mm -hmm. yeah and then his dating advice was uh was a point of contention between the two of you a little bit, but I think you guys agreed more than you disagreed because both of you were talking about uh, some, some version of intentional dating as opposed to just casual dating, dating with a, with a um, aim to, to get married as opposed to just get to know each other. You, you're, you were talking about dating to get to know whether you wanted to get married, but there was still, still that in the background. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way he said it at first, I was, I, I misunderstood it or we weren't on the same track, but I think, yeah, we definitely came together and, and agreed on that mostly, but it was, it was interesting to hear him state that because my mind immediately goes to like, Oh, like when you're young or ever in high school, and you're like, you're in the friend zone or something with a girl. Like you're not, yeah. uh, you don't want to do that. That's a bad place to be. Like you want to make your intentions clear. 
So yeah. I think <laughs> I don't think that's what he was going for. And so. and now as a parent, the the piece of advice that he offered best that I that I now love best um, was uh, before you go too far, really get to know their parents. Yes, and I'm like that is great advice. That is spectacular. Go with that. So yeah, yeah that's true. Really. I mean, his parenting uh, advice was interesting too. That he sent his son out to another village for a couple weeks. Like that was uh, yeah, man. That's yeah. a bit interesting. I would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to send my kids into the backyard for a couple weeks. Just if you come back, then you'll be a man. But it's uh, yeah, it was an approach. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, free, free range, they call that. Yeah, <laughs> good kick in the pants. You know, I'm still wondering whether to let my kid bike to school that's like 20 blocks away. So yes, I should let my kid go bike to school. So good, good. All right. Uh, I think we'll leave the Deathman one there. Um, so moving on to the Dort episode. So, yeah, just to be fully upfront, I think we probably should have split this into two episodes because it was so, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a change in the middle. But it kind of just the way the scheduling worked out, it just this this is what we ended up doing. But in hindsight, there's a lot of gold. Uh, well, but the first part is good. I'm not trying to take away from that. But it was more of just an exposure to what Dort is about which we got, we got into some good questions, I think. And uh, I, I was able to press them on their creation stance too, which I hope was helpful for people to see where Dort landed. Uh, but then we ended up talking to, about his, uh, uh, Professor Bailey's book in the latter uh, portion of the podcast, which was, yeah, I thought it'd be a great book. Um, just very thought provoking that way. Uh, John, I know you, uh, you enjoyed this episode a lot. What were, what were some of your thoughts, maybe starting with the Dort section, and then we'll get into the book a bit after that. Yeah. No, I I appreciated you pushing him on creation because uh, that that is an area that needed clarification. And I will say the first their first go at an answer. I'm not saying that they were being at all evasive, but you needed to ask them another question, and you did um, because they were talking about what they what they didn't do. They they don't adopt any naturalistic um, idea of evolution. And you know, for clarification, what's what's a naturalistic idea of creation that's creation without anything supernatural okay so they're not they're not going to adopt an evolution without god okay we're getting somewhere um but then where it kept going was uh, the overall idea of healthy discussion um they aren't they aren't going to try and deconstruct somebody who comes in with a six-day creation okay thank you appreciate that but I'm, I want to go to a Christian university to get encouraged and equipped to defend that. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't quite getting that feel here. I, I won't be attacked for it is kind of what I was getting. Um, and overall, I'd say I just wrote an editorial on this. If you're, if you're going to get the overall position of Dort, what it came off for me was the issue doesn't really matter. You know, if you're going to talk about healthy discussion on campus about sexuality, really, about gender, really, no, that's you can't do that. Those matter. You know, you got to have a certain position on those. Um, and then they said, well, as long as it starts with God and goes from there. Okay, well, my question really would be, which God? Because that's that's why the issue of origins matters. We have one side saying that, um, when God said, this is good and very good, what he meant was, you know, a process that took six days and, and 
all this sprung into being at, at his word. But the other side is saying very good meant a process of death and destruction and eons of disease and, and tooth and claw. And that was very good. And when God comes to restore again, to make it all new and good once more, what is he, what is he going to do? If, if all that was good, we get to a very different idea of who God is. So the two sides here, I would say, are not creation and evolution. They're more along the lines of, does this matter or does it not? And Dort falls kind of towards, not so much. It's not a central issue. And as I'm talking, you can, you can tell where I fall. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it even, even um, Dr. Justin Bailey later talked about just God's goodness. This informs your understanding of God's goodness. Now, thankfully, people can have confused views on the on the first few chapters of Genesis and take the whole of the rest of the Bible very seriously. And that is the impression I was getting with all the rest of the discussion, right? Mm -hmm. But I will say, if I'm going to university, this is something I'm going, I know I'm going to go out in the world to get attacked on this. Please, this is why I'd want to uh, go there. So, uh, I'm, it sounds like they have some profs who are six-day creationists. That that would be something I'm very interested in, what classes they're teaching, who they are, that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. yeah, it definitely struck me as, yeah, like you say, more neutral, if if not a slight bias toward like theistic evolution, or some variant of that at least. But uh, yeah, it is important. And I did I did read your uh, your op-ed, your, your article on that the other day, and I thought, it definitely it definitely woke me up a little bit because it, it's easy enough to get lulled into a sense of like all right whatever like you, know, you i believe in six-day creation sure but like if someone else doesn't they're still going to come up with a lot of other good material which is yeah. which is true like the dr Bailey's book is fantastic i'm not exactly sure what his personal stance is on on the creation issue but uh yeah if you're going to go to school and get a fulsome education in a christian university i i totally agree with you i think you should be able to see that uh Six day creation put it in a positive light and be able to defend it properly. Um, yeah. you just it, it should be, but I think the reason they don't is because yeah, they don't all believe in it. So then, why no. would you defend it? But that, but that is one thing where I want to just take it a little bit beyond just even the origins issue because if we are um, discussing things like like gender, then yep. if you have adopted a, a theistic evolution position and you work it out consistently, then at some type at some point, our um ancestors did not have two genders and then we evolved to have two and now in the gender wars where we're saying no there's two well why why would we be so firm on that why would we be so sure about that how do we know that we're not evolving into yet a new and further and maybe better state um and well that's nonsense the bible says this okay thank you thank you for going there and and i appreciate that but i'm going to say Stick with that all the way through. You can know we have two genders because Genesis, uh, Genesis 1, 27, 28. You know, you, that's that's really important text. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I appreciated that you uh, you pushed them on the faculty question because uh, the students is one thing, right? Like to have kids come from all over the place um, and, and have different views on something like this. Um, but the faculty is a really, it kind of struck me, it was, yeah, I was a little actually disappointed in that, that they couldn't, <laughs> I mean, 
you weren't looking for an exact stat on how many you know of their faculty believe one thing or the other or what or they would they know that but clearly the faculty goes through a series of questions or interviews and stuff to to determine their the status of their faith before they are allowed to teach at dort um and they're very you know consistent with that and obviously that's very important to them but then the evolutionary evolution uh creation question like they just didn't that was just not on their radar like they just didn't seem to care um one way or the other so like not having that stat you know is is fine in one you know in one side of it but also you know that's a bit a bit concerning um if that's what you're looking for obviously in the university so yeah i mean it's uh it was i thought redeemer when we when we talked to the guys at redeemer they were uh, a little bit harder on this this issue than uh than dort was but it's uh um it's one of those things I think like a university, especially a Christian university really needs to get this right. Otherwise you end up with, with the, like in university, there's so many, so many questions. So they're supposed to be like, it's supposed to be a, a place where everyone's asking things and figuring things out and thinking and talking. And if you, if you don't get the, you know, the building blocks of that, right. Then yeah like what john said like you just you're just asking for it like down the road right in your classes and and uh yeah it might be harder to find staff but it's also uh something that's really important so um yeah i don't know if you have anything else in the evolution thing john i mean other than every everything but no um, no i i uh <laughs> i did think just sticking with the with the dort for a bit i also appreciated the discussion that you had with him about the value of going to a christian mm-hmm. university uh because that is that's just got to be a topic that we're working through it shouldn't be an assumptive if you're going you better know why you're going you know it's because it's a huge investment so you know go but be stewardly be i was blown away by the expense in the states i thought university here was crazy i thought uh like i don't know i'd probably drop fifty thousand bucks well i guess canadian which is less american Oh, but that was over four years, and these guys are asking for that every year. It sounds like so. That's well, uh, and you you also dropped. You know, you, you're probably working part time, but you also dropped a, a number of years worth of income that yeah. you could have been making. Yeah, I like that you asked them about just university uh, in general. That was like, uh, you know, what's is it really worth going? And they seem to have the opinion that it's you know worth it more than ever, and uh, it's. Uh, uh, I think you were gracious in your uh, acceptance of that, but I, yeah, you know, being a guy who didn't, didn't go to university. Um, yeah. I'm still, I'm still very, uh, I find it very hard to recommend somebody go to university. I mean, Christian universities are definitely um, yeah. Making a, making strides. I think they're trying to, they're trying really hard to combat that, you know, the disaster that is just a regular public university. But I mean, it's still something to me that's not very obvious, you know, it, why it's so valuable in today's culture. It's so dependent on the person too, which I think we talked about a bit, but yeah. Like well, subject of study and stuff too, right? But, that too. Yeah. But there's so many resources out there for free or for very low, much lower cost than what you would have at university, right? If you're a disciplined person, you can go out and get that education. But it I, used I to be like an extension of high school where it allowed you to delay growing up. 
and, yeah. and like help you learn and figure out what you wanted to do. But it's so unaffordable to do that. And you're just, you're, if you're not ready for what that is going to bring in university, like from a faith perspective, from like critical, you need to have that critical thinking before you enter university. And that's what it used to, sp was supposed to teach you before, like how to read and write and think and talk and like how to think critically about everything you hear. And now it seems like you have to have that before you go, or you're just like, you're doomed. Like, so, mm. I mean, a Christian university is definitely, it's helping the situation where maybe you can come out of high school and be a little bit more immature and still do fine, but you got to be really aware of what you're doing these days. So uh, I feel like we got to do a plug for university now, just because <laughs> we've been so hard on it. So. Uh, it's yeah, it is worth it. But also I think the onus is just like on the parents or the teachers, like in the school system, like you got to get to kids young and you got to teach them these critical thinking skills as early as possible because the world's coming at you every day through your phone and the TV and, and whatnot. So it's, uh, yeah, it's almost, it's not, it's not a moot point about this whole discussion, but like the battle is being engaged far before the university comes into play. So okay. can I segue to, to, to Justin Bailey, just on, just on that point? Absolutely. Well, it just it, one of the many things he brought up in his book. What was it? What's the title of his book again? Oh, I have it Interpreting right here. Your World. Yes. Say that again. Yep. Interpreting Your World Five okay. Lenses for Engaging Theology and Culture. Yeah. He was talking about bubbles and just preparation at one point and just the, the he called it a boot camp bubble. You know, you, you got to be in boot camp, just you and yourselves. You can't, other people can't just wander into boot camp, but you got that to get ready, to get prepared versus, you know, the country club bubble, he called it, where um, they keep people out. You're, the bubble is meant to keep people out. And um, I was just thinking, we, we do have bubbles, protective bubbles, sheltering bubbles. But then that, that idea of being ready to go out in the big world when you're 18, whether you're going to university or whether you're going to a job, you got to be ready. And so we we need a little bit more of that boot camp bubble idea in our schooling system, in our in our high schools, in our and all the way down, because uh, it isn't just at university where you're going to get tested. Um, you're going to get tested heading out into the wide world. And are we ready to engage? Are we ready to speak once you graduate? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's tough. That's I mean, if you, if you go from high school to a construction site, that's, uh, I mean, we yeah. made university sound bad. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. University. I mean, this is why I think a Christian university, not to, not to go back into this, but um, I think a Christian people view a Christian university coming out of a, a Christian high school that we're, you know, so blessed to have, you know, we, we view the high school as a bubble and, I think if we view the Christian university as an extension of that bubble, I think, you know, th there's error there. Like, I don't think even if, you know, I mean, we talked about creation. If you don't get that question right, is that really a safe bubble to be entering with, you know, thousands of students from all over the place with all different views and no, and the university not taking a stand on these things. So we know when we go to our, our high school elementary schools and high schools, we know what the values are and the beliefs are because we're very involved in them. Um, like as parents, but then to send your kid to a university, if they are not very intentional about all those, those questions, 
it doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It just means that it's not the bubble you think it is um, or, you know, or are being led to believe. And you need to just be, need to be aware, go in with your eyes open, regardless of, you know, what it says on the door. Right. So, but I'm going to say that about our, our high schools too, because if you're going to say what the divide in, in the, the general school, Christian schools that were parts of all across Canada, um, all of them are six day creation. But if, if so if you make the divide between six day creation and evolution, they're all six day creation. But if you make the divide, does it matter or does it not matter? You're going to find a lot of our schools do not make it a big point of emphasis. So the, the result then is that our kids can leave those schools not being prepped to be able to to fight on that front and, and actually being able to be shook badly on that front, even after 12 years of Christian schooling. So that divide, you know, I don't, we, we have some room to grow there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. The, like I said earlier, you got to sharpen those skills young because uh, the world's coming at you faster than ever. Um, but John, just to go back to the book there, because I think uh, we don't want to skip over that because I thought it was a pretty interesting discussion at the end there. No, so yeah. not, not an hour or whatever it was wasted. Um, yeah. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, being the eldest member of this panel, having probably read more books than uh, Tyler and I can find five times over. What do you think oh, of that? I loved it. I yeah. loved it. I got it on order. It's coming today. Um, I, I'm going to enjoy that. Uh, just the, the, so many, I guess I'll just pick, I'll pick my favorite bit that you guys were talking about and it was the aesthetic dimension. So he had five filters, five, five ways of looking at the world, five ways of, uh, analogies. I don't know what all the, a, a good description for him are. So these are just things that he came up with, but they're just really helpful tools for understanding different things. And, and, and one of the filters or one of the understandings he offered, this wasn't even an analogy exactly, but it was just the aesthetic dimension that's all around us. Beauty, you know, art, uh, a, a baby, just things that are just wonderful. And uh, I will say I have struggled sometime with heaven. Just, just the battle's done. Struggles are done. It seems so much of what we do on earth here, so much of the noble and worthy things that we do are fights or or at least difficult, like you're contesting. And then I thought, well, when we get to heaven, all that's done, isn't it going to be a little bit boring? And, and oh, I know that's not true. God's going to be there, so it's going to be wonderful. So I know I'm wrong, but I'm still curious about how I'm wrong. And so when you guys were talking about the aesthetic dimension, yeah, you know, I can watch kitties forever. Just cute little kittens. It's just wonderful. These precious little balls of fur, you know, stared at my baby for, for forever. Right. Um, you mentioned just the, the chords of, of a song. You, you get shivers. Okay. I'm starting to clue in what's heaven going to be like. There's no fights in that. There's no struggles. There's just wonder and joy and ah. It was just what a thing, right? So I, I really appreciated your guys' discussion on that because, uh, yeah, it brought in light to something I, I've never, never had a handle on. Yeah, mm. I, I think both of us agreed at the end, like myself and, and Professor Bailey there, that that was our favorite uh, of the five because it's just, yeah, man, it's the stuff that gets you going. It just gets you excited for what's to come. But it's funny uh, you mentioned that on the point of being like, quote, like bored by heaven or whatever. Because uh, that relates to an episode we did a while back uh, I did with uh, Bukestein 
on eschatology, how like like you say, we're we're working in this life, we're trying to like improve things, but we'll never obviously be perfected in this life. But there's a degree to which it will be it will obviously be perfect in the new earth, new heaven, but there'll still be work to do, right? Like there's there'll still be things that we need to accomplish and we won't run into sin. But I'm I'm curious if it'll still be difficult to a degree because there's yeah, like in the struggle or in like, you know, people always say it's not the destination, you know, it's the journey or whatever, right? Like it's just like we have it every day as we like build our company. Like we're we're at a stage where it's very busy and there's a lot going on. We have big plans for where Taiko could go. And it seems crazy at times, but like also that's the stuff that gets you out of bed in the morning. That's the fun part. It's like how, how can we build this? That's nuts. And I feel like if it ever got to a point where it was just like, all right, we've completed all we can think to complete, which I don't think will ever happen. Uh, if that's what heaven was going to be like, or is going to be like, that would be not so fun. But I think there's always going to be a, a real that forward and always going to be some degree of struggle, although it's a perfected struggle. It's just a weird concept to think about. Yeah. Well, you won't ever be in bed. So then you don't have to uh, worry about getting up in the morning. That's fair. There so, better be coffee, though. No bed. So there's no coffee. No bed. Isn't it, a work, isn't it a wonderful thing at the end of a hard day, you know, a, 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 yeah. a, a well-worked day? That's only because you're tired. True. Yeah. I don't know if it's, tired isn't sinful. So I don't know no. that we won't be sleeping and we won't be. What a wonderful thing to just sit back and doze. It's true. It's true. It's true. Oh. Good nap. Yeah. Right on. Uh, tired. Okay. Well, we're going to go down this route all too long, but did you have any other thoughts other than? Like the lenses you found interesting, or just the concept. I mean, I think John touched the the big one that was. Uh, but yeah, I'd encourage people to go listen to it because it was. Uh, or and buy the book, honestly. Yeah, you had, you got a chance to read the book beforehand, which was, uh, you know, which is which is great for the conversation. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's it's yeah, not no, as hoity toity as as someone might think if they're listening. They're like, ah, oh, cultural lens or whatever, blah blah blah. It, there's a little bit of academicness. If that's not really a word, probably, but you know what? That's it, that's it, the it, one you want to screw up. That's yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, I, I did not go to university, so there is that. Yes. Uh, Lucas is big in academicness. Yes, exactly. Um, but no, I, I think it's actually reasonably simple to to read that book and to understand what he's saying. So, but there's there's just a large degree of depth to it, which makes it a, I think, a book that'll last a long time and, and continue to be interesting. So. With that, I think we're going to move on to real estate. Uh, like I said, off the hop, they're probably the spiciest of the three. Uh, I think we had a pretty good, like, well, I would say four-way discussion, but it was more like Rick from Red Deer, Tyler over there, just calling in, giving his opinion to the show because <laughs> he was the only one virtual. But uh, I think it was a lively discussion. I think we hit some real issues and there's real problems. Um, yeah, I don't know. John, I'll throw to you first on this one. I think we'll just take it from America. because I'm sure we all have some hot takes on this one. <clears throat> yeah, there, there's lots of questions I would have asked them because uh, I I was strugg struggling along. I've heard you talk with them before. Um, for uh, was it Brent that you talked with yeah. before? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And just to wrap my head around this and uh, the idea of taking on debt, the idea of, of uh, just hedging your money with real estate investments one of the things that, that I would have loved to explore with them is um, this this idea of how badly the government is kind of messing things up. Uh, Pierre Polivier uh, talked just in a recent video 
about if you were to buy a property in Vancouver, the difference between the land, the labor, um, just the materials, all of that, and then what you would buy the house for. So the cost of building it versus the cost you pay is more than a million dollars, the average house in Vancouver. And that's all just government. The million dollars is all just government. Okay, well, you as an investor are hoping that prices go up, but you as a parent, as I'm gonna say just as a Christian, want people to be able to find affordable houses. So there's sort of a perverse situation here where, uh, and, and I don't mean perverse like sinful, I just mean it's whacked out, uh, that you're investing in something, counting on it going up, because the government's just totally messing with it, and they're causing it to keep going up. And so you can kind of count on the government to just keep messing it up, and it's going to keep going up. But you should be praying for it to go down so that your kids and your grandkids can actually afford a place to live. Um, unfortunately, it seems that you, you've got a safe investment because, you know, what are people going to do? But yeah. it, it, it is something where if you did get in, you should still be having that prayer. You should almost be praying against your investment. Uh, so, yeah, it's like something like investing in Bombardier or, or GMC or something. Like well, they go under every five years, but like it's still a good investment. I had a I had a relative who uh, was using Via Rail, and every ticket that you buy in Via Rail, if you go, you know, if you pay a thousand dollars for a ticket, the government's also subsidizes that a thousand dollars. So they're they're feeling, you know, should should they be buying a ticket if the government's paying a thousand dollars for each one? Well, if they didn't go on that train then it's just $1,000 more that that would have cost taxpayers. So I said, on the one hand, don't feel, don't feel bad about it. There's nothing wrong with you going on the train. And at the same time, if they cut that route, you should not complain because they just saved. They did the responsible thing. They shouldn't be running this at, at, so it's kind of the same situation where it's like, there's nothing with getting in the, real estate market, it, hey, it could be, the they're making a really good case. It's a stewardly use of your money. You're protecting the investments God, God's handed off to you. You're, you're protecting the value. But don't ever get that that investment. Don't ever have that investment. Um, you, you, yeah, it's going to give you a temptation for you to want the prices to keep going up. Whereas you can kind of count on them to go up, but you should want them to go down. Yeah, so the one like the discussion that we had, uh, they actually did an episode on this on their uh, podcast, the, the Two Stewards Show. So people can go listen to that too. But they they talked about the morality of of um, investing, and they actually have somebody they work with who thinks it's immoral to invest in real estate, who's very involved with their team. Um, so it's actually a kind of a funny story. But they um, so they have this conversation all the time. Um, is it is it moral to buy the house? But I mean, they're you yeah you're lowering the supply um like available obviously um by by buying additional single family homes um and like there's obviously some moral framework around like what are you going to do with it it's not like you're just buying it and leaving it vacant i mean i think that's obviously like ethically that might be worse than renting it out it's just um yeah like there there is a we're in a situation like yeah, I don't know. My mind kind of goes back to this. Remember we had to talk about abortion and snowflake adoption and stuff? Like, it's almost like you're in a situation now that's bad. Now what are you going to do about it? 
And so like this yeah. investing in real estate's not, it's not like you're creating the environment that we have by doing that. You're living in this environment. So now you're, you know, now what do you do with that as a Christian? Is it more stewardly to invest and, and you know, like hedge your money or, or, you know, find a place where your money is holding its value? Um, or is it, you know, more stewardly to, you know, bow out of that system because yeah, the corrupt, you know, whatever corruption behind it or, or just the, the way the government's been dealing with it, you don't agree with, or, um, or do you make the best of it? Yeah. It's that, that's a great, that's a great analogy because with a snowflake adoption, you're saving a kid, right? But you want the situation that resulted in this kid needs needing to be saved to end. And so here you're, you, you can, you could talk about it, saving a house. You, you buy the house, you, you put it in good state, get it ready for somebody to rent. You're, you're doing a service. You're yeah. Providing. A lot of times they're, they're actually creating units. Like, so Brent, uh, that's what they do. They buy units and they, they, or they buy a home that was a single family. And then through, you know, basically the, the cities are encouraging higher density. Um, most cities are now. So, you know, he's out of Hamilton and Hamilton, they'll, they can put two or three units in a home. And even in the backyard, they've started being able to do that. They call it a garden suite. It's basically like living in a shed. Um, while that's like, you know, these, these units aren't as, you know, nice to live in as just a whole main house, like a whole house with a yard and a garage. And, you know, they are creating supply in a way they're creating three or four dwelling units where there was only one before. So this is the goal of the, <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's the goal of the government to do that. And they're basically, they've been incentivizing people to do that. And so Wait, is that a good goal though? Sense. Like that's, wow, the, that's, I don't know if we got into that, again, but like, yeah, is, is it morally or ethically, you know, favorable to take a nice, you know, a larger home that's meant for a single family that has room for, you know, more than like two kids or something, let's say, and then turn it into these little shoe boxes where like, sure, you created more supply and that's good. Like, I don't know, should Christians be in favor of high density housing? Like, I'm not sure if that's a healthy environment for a family. Like Christians should I, encourage families. I, <clears throat> then we I, shouldn't I build condos. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe. Maybe we gotta sh- <laughs> didn't think that hey, we, we make money up. building condos. So <laughs> Yeah. Sure. What we what we've handed over here, you, you gotta back it up a step and just talk about the incentives. Uh Polivier has his own plans. Pierre Polivier has his own plans for how to s- fix housing, but they involve his fiddles. He's going to do this and do that and do the other thing. Well, is it the government's business to be trying to incentivize uh, housing builds and all this? They've been trying to incentivize it for decades now. And how are they doing with that? Are they doing a good job of it? Maybe they're not doing a good job of it because it's none of their business. You know, like when we look at what God's ideas for government, uh, as we see it in the Bible, you know, there's a warning about the king being overarching and being involved in every little thing. Well, there's a lot of uh, involvement here. And and what level of expertise can they possibly bring it? Does Justin Trudeau know how to do this, that, and the other thing? Should we expect him to? Should we expect Polivier to? Maybe they could just back off. They could do something like, hey, carbon taxes make everything more expensive. There's something, just do less interfere yeah. less I, I think that's what yeah polyev's going for 
But um, I mean, yeah, if you play the devil's advocate, right? Like if you, some people say, well, more regulation is necessary because, you know, we need to create these homes in certain spots because we know where people are going. And like, if you, if you take, uh, for the record, I agree with what you're saying, but just to play devil's advocate, if you take the other side of it, right? Like, where do you, where do you stop the no regulation side? Like, do you think the government has a role in regulating like zoning? Like probably is the answer to that. Like there's a certain degree of, you can't just be completely like put up whatever you want, wherever. No. So steel mill in your single family home. Let's go. Exactly. Right. (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's a better alternative than what we have now. It's possible. Possible. I would look at countries that have that. (laughs) It's probably not, but yeah, it's uh. No, go ahead. I think if you start with start with the Bible and start with the guy the idea of of this warning against an overarching government, and then you act from there with great humility. So, are there instances where we might need some uh, guidance from on top? Perhaps so, but that's not the assumption that we're starting with. We're we're not starting with humility. We're starting with government as God. They've replaced God. We don't want you but we still need somebody to run our lives. And so that's the role that we have our current government trying to fill. They are not humble. They they know how to do everything. You go listen to Justin Trudeau talking about the housing crisis. He's got it fixed. He knows exactly what to do, but that was 2015 and none of it's come. None of it's done anything. So we we just need a really healthy dose of humility on, on the high levels. Agreed, yeah, but... Does it not just come back to money supply at the, end the, at the end of the day? Like, it's just the dollars chasing the best spot to go. I think that's, to me, that's the simplest explanation. So here, yeah, here, you, have a role, here you have a role where the government has, um, you, you got into all sorts of aspects of money theory, and I don't want to go too deep because I can't go too deep. But the idea of inflation is is too much money chasing too too few goods, right? So everything goes up. Uh, otherwise the shelves are empty and all that um well that is something the government's in charge of and how it's very attractive for them to to have their debt um diminished the value of their debt diminished unless they have um variable rate in you know interest on it but they they can make their debt worth less by making your money worth less so how did they do that they did it by stealing from you and and maybe i shouldn't use the word stealing but it's a secret tax on you um and so there's definitely something fundamentally dishonest here yeah they talk about a stable how about how about money be worth money how about we don't have inflation how about you keep that going that's that's why we've had two conversations about this with i mean that's one of these one of these things these guys always talk about because real estate i mean they're in the real estate world for a reason because they understand the money portion of it and that it's storing it's the store of value that you create every day and where can you put that if you just hold money in your bank account you actually lose money every day which is a weird concept but then yeah what you're talking about john with um and it's the first time i actually heard it articulated which is weird cuz my brother's you know Brent and he always talks about this stuff. Um, inflating away your mortgage is something that people like count on as a as a way to do business. Like they buy an apartment building or something, and they expect that in twenty years, even if they don't pay a dime of it off, they have the exact same mortgage value. 
that value of that the dollar is like half it could be like and so then you have half the mortgage on a property that probably increased in value so you can create money at a thin air by just holding your holding things that hold value instead of cash so it's it's it really does have a lot to do with the government and how they treat money and yeah i mean this is it's such a deep issue that we got away from the gold standard but you know and this is where where people are looking for alternatives so this is where like the bitcoins of the world enter the conversation but because there needs to be something that fixes this that holds that holds these politicians to an account holds them to account on their policies because right now they just have a free range to do what they need to do to make their numbers work and we're all just victims of it but, so but that was that was one of the things one of the gentlemen mentioned was that real estate's attractive because the dollar isn't. So here, again, perverse incentives like the government is is creating the problem with with their inflationary policies. So if they could if they could just handle the stuff that they're supposed to handle, like let's have uh, weights and measures. Let's just have money be trustworthy. How about how about start with that? That's in your realm. Yep. Do your job. Yeah, that's pretty well it. It's yeah, uh, it, they, 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 when they get down into the housing thing, like Polyev too. He's talking about these things. A lot of times, the government, the fastest way for them to affect the numbers that people care about, because they're on a term, right? They're on whatever. They're they're only in for a time, so they need to make those numbers look good at certain times of their, you know, they get elected. Looks bad. Looks good when they're getting reelected. Um, and the best way to do that in housing is to focus on the demand, not the supply. Polyev has been talking a lot about supply, but when he gets, you know, maybe if he becomes the prime minister, um, a lot of these like stress tests that they bring in, um, foreign investment taxes, a lot of things like that are just meant to curb the demand. And we've taken a very liberal view on in immigration, which isn't helping demand either. Um but that side of the equation isn't the whole picture. And they, you know, they like that because it makes them look good, but it's a hard, it's a way harder problem to solve than just like pretending that people don't need houses when they really do need houses. <laughs> like just because mm -hmm. people are willing to live in their parents' basement doesn't mean that's the solution. No. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like if you just look at like the Bible and how that's an anchor for how you can live your life as a Christian. Like, I think the same principle applies to money. If you don't have a money supply pegged to something, it's just free floating. And then it's just like whoever controls the environment in which the money free floats, which in this case, in our country, would be the government of Canada to a degree, then they're going to monkey around with the levers of power on, on money because money is how they get elected. Yeah. It's just, it's like you say, perverse incentives. No, and, and just, just to bring it home, it, it is what they need. I mean, this even brings Bailey. He's talking in his book, Dr. Bailey was talking about just uh, uh, bringing holiness uh, that, that projects. Um, the world needs to hear more from us, needs to hear more from God's people. Guidance on just trustworthy currency. Well, why does it have to be trustworthy? It's just an arbitrary measure. Well, because you're hurting people who are savers, you're, you're encouraging consumption. Is that something that the Bible is... Uh, encouraging just random consumption because your money's not going to be worth anything tomorrow 
No. So all these biblical principles are actually the answer to a lot of practical problems that the world has. And then, of course, there is the fundamental problem, most of all, that they need a savior. But bring the bring the total package. Let's let's talk about God has the answers to big, huge, the problem, and also all these other things, too. Mm -hmm. Very true. John, do you remember off the top of your head here uh, that economics book you gave me a while back? Short little, I believe it was Blue. Yeah. Who's the fellow I know it was who wrote David Bonson, but I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's we'll we'll link uh, David Bonson uh, in his book into in the profile profile for this episode because he's got some some good thoughts on inflation and currency and the, exactly what we're talking about here. So, okay. Well, I feel like we could make another episode on the real uh, real estate one because it's just. It's so interesting. It's so impactful for, you know, I'd say the majority of the listeners of this show, especially if you're trying to get in or you've gotten in and you're facing high mortgage rates or, or whatnot. So, yeah, hang in there, people. It's uh, it's rough, but uh, we'll get through it. Um, all right. So, John, you had a couple uh, plugs you want to make uh, in, in terms of yeah. picture books for RP, if, uh, if you want to go ahead with that. Yeah, I'll just be quick. It just I know that Christmas is coming up and a lot of uh, people are looking for good presents to give grandparents, parents looking for uh, what they can give their kids. And there are just so many wonderful books out there. And I'm thinking particularly with the younger kids, uh, so many wonderful picture books out there. There are also so many really, really horrible books out there. So I just finished an article on the Caldecott list which the Caldecott Medal is the award given in the U.S. to what's supposed to be the, the best picture book of the year. It's been given since 1938, so there's 80-some you know, of these. And each year they also have some honorees, uh, anywhere from two to six. So the total list of, of medal winners and honorees is something like 400. Um, I looked through all of these and I found about 150 to recommend. Uh, so if you go to Reformers, reformedperspective.ca slash books you can find that list um, you'll find something lovely for your kids for your grandkids uh, if you have some younger readers there's also a, a list up there of wordless books which can be just really fun for the pre-readers and uh, for older teens and all that we got recommendations including about 50 graphic novels that are well beyond um if you're thinking like archie andrews or something like that uh, you can learn history you can learn economics you can learn all sorts of things from a really really great graphic novel and again these are the good ones there are so many this is the, the domain of lgbt nowadays so don't just go looking for a graphic novel go go check out our recommendations and and i'll finish with just the books we have on reformedperspective.ca books are recommendations. So we're not, we don't cover everything, but we have hundreds of books up there and they're all ones that we think um, somebody will love. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Is I got young kids and I was lots of picture books in the house and they, and they love them. Uh, not quite reading yet, but just uh, reading stories to them. You realize like some of them are easy to avoid. The ones that you know are going to be terrible just based on the cover. But there was like one I was reading that was just flat out communist. And I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. Like fun story. Also, <laughs> like yeah. good thing the kids, you know, are four and three and not, you know, seven, because uh, this is not teaching good work ethic and things, you know. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
No, my daughter came home with one uh, from the picture book section called Princess Boy. I didn't notice at the time. I just saw a picture of a princess on the cover. And it was, yeah, a boy in a dress doing ballet. And and that's her first exposure to transgenderism at, you know, five or four or whatever it was. Um, so they're coming for your kids. I'll, yeah. So with the with these kind of lists too, whether you buy them as presents, you can also just take it to your online reservation at your public library and just go go crazy. Because they're called the cop winners, uh, your library is liable to have lots and lots of these. Okay. Fantastic. Well, public throw... libraries are a disaster, but we need something uh, something to go get. Yeah. Appreciate it. Good, good stuff. All right. Well, we'll link that uh, that list below so listeners can check that out. Um, so, yeah, that kind of brings us to the end of the show here. Thanks for uh, for tuning in, everybody. As always, if you have any questions or concerns, you can always email us at the email link below in the show notes and uh, stay tuned for a couple of interesting episodes coming up. Like I mentioned with uh, RP's very own Mark Penninga and we have some coming up with uh, a couple of the fellows from ARPA regarding their fall tour. And, uh, and Ty sat down with uh, two gentlemen uh, from faith to film talking about their passion for creating uh, yeah film as, as reformed Christians and in, in, in that industry. So, which is a tough one to do. So looking forward to all, all three of those stay tuned. And, uh, and that's it for now. So keep having a real talk. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen or watch the show. If you want to send us your feedback, and we'd love to hear it, please email us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. If you want to find us online or social media, we've got a lot of great content there. Just search Reformed Real Talk and we should come right up. This show is created and produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, and Tyler Vanderwood. And our wonderful podcast manager who does all the editing is Mariah Tamiga. So we're really thankful for her contribution to the show as well. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for watching or listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.